Hey, co-maniacs. It's Chad Dundas, the co-host of the Co-Main Event Podcast, reminding you that since this is a supersized episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast, the thing that you are listening to right now is actually part two. What? So if you haven't listened to part one, you might want to circle back uh, and check that out first. Because then you won't get all the cool references and jokes that we make. The second half of the show is probably going to be pretty referential to the first. You don't want to be left out of that. No, you'll be all disjointed. Or if you're a crazy, shit-eating wild man with your hair on fire and you don't just give a care, press on, man. Listen to the rest. See what we see. What we care. It's not our place to tell you how to live your life. Just a subtle suggestion yeah. that you might want to listen to part one before you listen to part two. Or not. I don't know. Wow, we were really... You know what? We have no advice to offer, actually, now that I think about it. I thought this went well. Well, Ben, egg on everyone's faces, including the two co-hosts of this podcast, who I believe, when Dana White was on the Colin Cowherd show talking about the likelihood of Mayweather versus McGregor, we said he's just out there just saying stuff. Well, again, I would cite you from earlier in this episode, history was on our side there. True. We did have a a certain amount of of, uh, what you might call anecdotal evidence. To lead us to believe that this fight would never happen, and yet here we are, a couple of months to do the build to this thing before late August, when Conor McGregor is going to strap on the goofy-ass 10-ounce, what are they doing, 12-ounce gloves for this thing they just announced, uh, and go out there and fight the greatest boxer of his generation, Floyd Mayweather, in a pugilistic contest in Las Vegas. And uh, I think everyone inside the quote-unquote MMA bubble is just just kind of strapping on the safety belts and waiting for this thing to be over because judging by the lead up to Mayweather versus Pacquiao and the idea that the lead up to Mayweather versus McGregor could be even bigger uh seems like a lot of ridiculous shit will be said between oh, yeah. now and then. Yeah. Said and perhaps done. Uh, and okay, let's talk about the the initial reaction here. You announce this fight, everybody takes a step back and realizes, okay, so a 49-0 boxer, like you said, greatest of his generation, is going to take on a guy who does not have any professional boxing experience, but who is at the top of his game in MMA. And the initial response, it seems, is, this is stupid and kind of ridiculous, but I'm not going to pretend that I'm not going to watch. You know what this fight is? It's a Hollywood blockbuster. When you go to the movies and you see the trailer for The Mummy with Tom Cruise uh, or the trailer for Kong Skull Island, nobody in the world is like, oh, I can't wait to go see this fantastic piece of cinema. This is going to be incredible. Wow, everybody a, thinks, a weird voice. Okay. Everybody thinks this is going to be stupid and a lot of people are going to go see it. And maybe that's okay because I feel like that's what we have with Mayweather McGregor. No one of any substance expects the fight to be competitive or even compelling and yet... It's going to do a land office business on pay-per-view, and uh, we're going to watch it. And I yeah. don't think just because it's our jobs, right? Yeah, no. I mean, as much as some people right now are going to say, you know what? I'm not watching this. I know what's going to happen. It's going to be stupid. I'm not doing it. 
on the night you really want to be sitting around just like, you know, following Twitter for updates. Yeah. Like it's the 1920s and a dude is reading the results off a of ticker tape. Yeah. And shouting them from a balcony. No, you don't want that. You're not going to be, you know, sitting around in a coffee shop reading Nietzsche, just telling yourself how you're way too cool and smart to enjoy this fight. No, you're going to be looking for where, what bar you can go to, what friends you can get together. Cause you're going to want to see it. You're going to want to be a part of the moment. And that's really what, what they're selling you here. Danny Downs and I talked about this a little bit in our trading shots and that, I mean, my takeaway from this is they're selling you the pomp and circumstance. Yes, they are. And it's going to be a lot of it, and it's going to be huge, and it is going to feel like a historic thing because it kind of is, you know, like a boxer at the top of his game, an MMA guy against the top of his game. They're going to fight. This this is not something that we see very often. It's something we hear talked about an awful lot, but we don't really see it And with two huge sports stars of this magnitude coming together for an utterly ridiculous fight. And that's what they're selling you is the opportunity to be a part of that moment and to be there and experience it along with everybody else in the world who's experiencing it at the same time rather than having to sit around and wait for some gifts like a lame This is what you're, you're buying. And I think we should realize that and then I think we should go ahead and pay our money because you do want to be a part of it. That is a, a big part of the appeal of like a big fight. And this is going to have that big fight feeling prior to the bell. Right. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. And I would say, like, this is the kind of thing that in the MMA community, it's really easy to, uh, take a big crap all over it and talk about how it's a money grab and a farce and the fight isn't going to be any good. And all that stuff is true. I'm not here to tell you that it's not true, but I also think just because of a lot of the things that you just said, this is also an opportunity to kind of like sit back and enjoy it. Uh, because this thing stands to be among the biggest sporting events of the year. Like in any sport, if you do a 2017 wrap up, assuming that everything goes off as planned, Mayweather McGregor might be right up there with the Super Bowl in terms of uh, importance, in terms of eyeballs. It might even be bigger than that. It might turn out to be the biggest sporting event of the year for all we know. It'll probably turn out to be the biggest, the, the highest grossing pay-per-view fight of all time. And despite the fact that our guy is probably going to get his ass handed to him, and by our guy, I mean the MMA fighter, uh... I think it's kind of cool that like our weird niche sport that that doesn't get a lot of mainstream attention is going to have a hand in the the biggest sporting event of the year and and I think part of that or like because of that it's it's easier to sit back uh and enjoy this thing a little bit or at least try to enjoy the the build which which is going to be frenetic and and totally insane I would argue. You know one thing that I was surprised by and I'm still not sure what to think of it is we had our discussion with our one of our the list things that we do on MMA Junkie where we kind of argued what's the least Conor McGregor can do and come away calling this a win. Uh, and, you know, Dan Stupp, uh, our editor, made the case like uh, showing up because um, he's going to get paid so much money. It doesn't matter if he gets knocked out with a very first punch. It's a win as long as he can get there and get paid. And my point was basically that he's got to do something because MMA fans are going to see him as our representative in this. And if he goes out there and gets just clowned, like no positives to take away from it whatsoever, and all the boxing people are going to be like, look, see, we told you, this is the best you guys got. And he got utterly embarrassed and didn't do a single thing, couldn't land a single punch, proved all the people who said that right. Um, I think a lot of MMA people would 
harbor resentment toward Conor McGregor after that, uh, regardless of whether he comes back or not. I was surprised by how many people, mostly people with pictures of Conor McGregor in their avatars, uh, responded to me on Twitter basically saying, no, there's no way, like, our, their love is unconditional. That there's nothing he could possibly do to turn them against him at this point. Um, that basically, it's just, they're, they're ride or die with Conor McGregor. Which, that strikes me as a weird kind of fandom. Like, that you don't really see that often, especially in combat sports, where you adopt the position that no matter what happens to this guy, no matter if he gets, if he completely sucks uh, and completely falls apart, this is just my guy until I they put me in the ground. That's that's an, that's an uncommon oh, thing. It's rare for sure in mixed martial arts to find that's kind of like undying loyalty. But in this case, uh, I'm gonna back it. I'm gonna say that that's right because anybody that that like after this fight uses this as an excuse to like denigrate Conor McGregor or denigrate denigrate the striking of of mixed martial arts fighters. That's kind of like a clown statement bro uh because you're <laughs> it's going to happen yeah it is going to happen you're going to but you've also got a guy with no boxing experience going out there to fight like i said the undefeated greatest boxer of his generation and i would go a step further than that and say there is probably not a sparring partner in the floyd mayweather camp that has less professional boxing experience than conor mcgregor right like floyd mayweather's shittiest sparring partner has more professional boxing experience than Conor McGregor. Because Floyd's not out there just picking guys off the street, which is what you would have to do to have, you know, an athlete with less, or a combat sports athlete with less professional boxing experience than Conor McGregor. But I'm going to say this, Ben, in response to your point. Two things. Uh, one, I would say if you're allowed to consider this in more than just the pure athletics that will happen inside the ring, Conor McGregor has already won. Just because of, number one, what he's been able to force the UFC to allow him to do, which is a thing that has never been done before. And, and in that, just in that regard is a landmark moment in our sport. And number two, because, uh, he's going to go out there and if he wants to, like fight the, 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 one of the greatest boxers of all time and, and, make $125 million as estimated by Kevin Ioli from, from Yahoo sports because of those two things alone. I feel like he's kind of already won from a non-athletic standpoint. I think that what you are saying athletically makes some sense. Like if he gets totally clowned and I'm talking like stopped in round one, and obviously Floyd Mayweather is not known as a, a ferocious offensive boxer, but if like Conor McGregor gets knocked out early, I think that will reflect poorly on Conor McGregor's future as a combat sports fighter. But if McGregor goes the distance with Mayweather, which is entirely possible, even if he gets really badly clowned, I feel like he can get on the mic, depending on what Conor McGregor wants his future to be, which maybe we can talk about in a second. Conor McGregor can get on the mic and say, I just had the balls to get in the ring and fight the greatest fighter of his generation at his own game. Now we will find out which so-called top boxers in the world have the guts to come face me in the octagon. Right. You know, and that brings me to what I have been thinking about more and more was that email we got a couple months ago, I guess. When I can't remember. I wish I could remember who it was right now who laid out a plan for Conor McGregor in this fight. Right. Which I love. I love every second of it. Um, for those who, who didn't listen to that one or can't remember, it basically 
was for him to spend the lead up to the fight, you know, saying all kinds of outrageous things, trying to actually maybe convince Floyd Mayweather that I'm a little crazy and I might just uh, go in there and kick you in the head. Who knows? Um, and then in the fight itself, you know, maybe you throw a spinning back heel kick that comes within inches of his face, doesn't actually touch him. I mean, the ref will warn you, but what, are you going to, are you going to get disqualified for that necessarily? Um, maybe you're in the clinch with him and you foot sweep the guy a little bit and then you throw him down. Enough little stuff like that, that while it will not officially count on the record, you know, the, the opposing counsel is going to object and it's going to be stricken from the record, but still we're all going to see it. And even then, if you lose the boxing match, you kind of made the point like, if this were a different kind of fight, if there were fewer rules in this fight, um, it would look very differently. You remind us at least that, hey, you know, I, I have a bunch more skills than he does. Um, he's really good at this very specific game, but I might be good at a better overall actual fighter. That might be enough. Like, that might be enough for me uh, watching it and, you know, the MMA fans kind of feeling like they're, they're a little nervous to see how it's going to go. That might just that might be enough for us to go away feeling like we got some money's worth out of it, like it was it was not at all just a bad news exercise for two rich guys to get richer. Well, we've already had these reports out that Floyd Mayweather has it in his contract that he can sue Conor McGregor if he gets kicked, right? Which I love. To me, that's like uh, Vern Gagne might as well have booked that in the American Wrestling Association in the 1970s. It just, I feel like like that, You, as you said earlier, that's a Rocky movie. Yeah. Uh, plot line right there. If you kick me, I'll sue, yells Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, like, we're already doing this thing. And as far as I'm concerned, the buildup to this thing will be a hundred times more interesting than the actual fight because, uh, even though it's crazy to think about everything that Conor McGregor has accomplished in mixed martial arts, all of that is essentially preamble to lead him to this moment, which, uh, is the thing he's been building toward probably for his entire career. Uh, and I would, I would expect that he's gonna just go fucking crazy in the lead up to this. And he, and as we know, everybody in MMA knows how good he is at promoting, but I feel like he's gonna be an absolute revelation for mainstream people that have never seen him before and for boxing media who are, have just been waiting, right? For someone like Conor McGregor to come along and do the Conor McGregor thing. They're gonna eat that shit with a spoon. And I bet by the time he's done, by the time we get to the week of this fight, even the most cynical bastards among us are going to think to ourselves, does this guy have a chance? Maybe. Like secretly, well, maybe. secretly in the back of your mind, a tiny little twinge in your mind brain that is like, maybe this guy has a chance. And then you, the next thing you know, you pay 120 bucks. Watch him just get wrung out for 12 rounds. I cannot stop thinking about the many similarities piling up between this fight and the film The Great White Hype. This guy is actually Irish, yes. unlike Irish Terry Conklin, who was, was explained to him by the John Lovitz character, it's just a boxing term that means you're white. But again, that guy had no pros, no professional boxing fights. Conor McGregor has no professional boxing fights. Uh, the, the only difference, really, that I see is that Floyd Mayweather is so much less likable than Damon Wayans was in that film. You know, remember the sad thing at the end, though, where, like, he lands with one good punch? The, the champ gets mad at him, uh, and steamrolls him basically in the first round. And then there's the sad, like, people holding their little Irish flags in the crowd and they drop down and fall on the floor of the, like, MGM Grand Arena or whatever. Um, that's something we might want to keep in mind. Just saying. You know, what is amazing is that we're going to end up talking about this fight again. 
Yeah. Probably again and again. This is the summer of McMayweather. Just buckle in because yeah. you and I, our lives exist right now for the t- period between now and August 26th. That's and what's going on. At least we'll all have jobs. That's right. Right? Probably up through that. And maybe the day after? Yeah, a couple days after, yeah. You want to do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then sure. we'll move on to round number two. Well, Ben, this week, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me is is Holly Holm, Betch Cohea related, which we already talked about during the first half of the show, but I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, and that is, are you fucking kidding me, Betch Cohea, that you are going to taunt Holly Holm with the, the Diaz brothers, bring it, come at me, bro. And then immediately, immediately in the aftermath, get kicked right in your face and knocked out. You know why not everyone involved in a professional fight taunts their opponent like that, right? Because, well, not only from out of professional courtesy, but also because nobody wants to be the person that taunts their opponent and then immediately gets knocked out. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Well, Chad... This week, my are you fucking kidding me? I don't know if you noticed this on the the main card of this UFC Fight Night 111 in Singapore. This was probably around 6.30 a.m. in the one true time zone. Um, Colby Covington goes out there and wins a decision over Dung Hyun Kim. And I've noticed this before with Col- Colby Covington. He goes out there. He wins the fight, you know, wins a, a pretty clear decision that had everybody who was watching it saying, my God, can this fight please just be over already because it was really boring to watch. His fourth straight win in a row. And then he gets on the microphone as if he has utterly destroyed a top contender. I feel like he has a really different idea of what these fights are like in his mind because when he gets on the mic... You would think that he had just put on some awesome performance and he's super hyped up and he's like calling for a title shot and he's just like, uh, ask, demanding everything in the world like he is just kicking down the door, uh, and rolling right in here to proclaim himself the new king. And everybody else is like, man, I'm just glad that shit is over because that was terrible to sit through. What fights does he think are, is happening in there? Are you fucking kidding me with this, Kobe Covington? If we can just get the the energy that you project in the post-fight interview to match like the actual fight itself, you'll be a star, man. You fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. Now, see, Colby Covington, though, is doing the thing where uh, everyone always says, well, the UFC should have 100 Conor McGregor's. Like, everyone should should talk all the trash and be the bad guy and the, the swaggering loudmouth and get themselves to fight. And I feel like it's just another example of, like, not everyone can do that. No. It takes a special kind of person to do that. Even though I will say in his defense, we're talking about Colby Covington right now. I know who Colby Covington is because, not because he beat Dong Young Kim by unanimous decision, but because I saw his name in a hundred headlines afterwards saying, talking about all the stuff that he said. So that's, I mean, that's to his credit, I think. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, I think it's got to be noted that as we were putting together our plans for this this show, 
and you kind of outlined what you thought the round should be. And initially, I read it and thought, yeah, no, that seems like you're hitting all the topics there. And then I said, wait a minute. Did you realize that the big Bellator pay-per-view in Madison Square Garden is this weekend? It's Saturday? How did it, how did we possibly even come close to forgetting that? Well, Vanderlei Silva no-showed the press conference okay. for starters. But I would also say... Also, we're old and we forget things. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Remember when Chael Sonnen fought Tito Ortiz and he acted like this is just a thing that I have to do to get to Vanderlei Silva, like the Tito Ortiz fight is just a stepping stone? And at the time that it happened, I thought to myself, my God, if Bellator puts together Chael Sonnen against Vanderlei Silva, the lead up to that fight will be the craziest shit ever witnessed prior to a mixed martial arts fight because I thought you were going to get Chael Sonnen on everybody's podcast, on his own podcast, on the MMA hour, doing his Chael Sonnen thing where Vander he says Vanderlei Silva tried to feed a carrot to a bus. I thought you were going to get Vanderlei in the basement with those black and white videos <laughs> yeah, that he used the crazy to do eyes. where it seemed like he was just slowly creeping closer and closer <laughs> to the camera like a predator uh, that is just slowly creeping up on its prey uh, with such poise and stealth that the prey doesn't even see it coming, but you just got this vague feeling of anticipation and nervousness in your chest by watching it. We got none of that, Ben. None of that. And that leads me to ask, where is that? Where's that lead up? Where's that crazy, insane build to this fight that I thought was going to happen that I thought, man, if Bellator takes this fight and puts it on pay-per-view, it'll make some money because Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva will, will pull out every stop and go tooth and nail to sell this fight. We got nothing. We got nothing before this. Um, maybe they're saving it all for this week. I, I mean, that's what that's what you got now, right? You got this week because that's all that's left, as anyone who knows how time works can attest. But I expected like we were going to be doing this weeks out. Yeah, Van, a series of videos of Vanderlei Silva in his basement, and we got none of that. He didn't even show up to the press conference. And initially said he didn't show up to press conference because he was under the weather. And then later was like, nah, I just didn't want to go because I didn't want to be there with Chael Sonnen. Which, come on, man. That's kind of the point, right? Your job is to be there with Chael Sonnen and almost get in a fight with him. Well, and see, I thought when we saw Chael Sonnen before in Bellator and the reason he wasn't doing the usual Chael Sonnen thing was because, as he said, there's I got nothing to sell you. Like, there's no pay-per-view here. Um, it's just on Spike TV. So, like, what do you want? What am I hyping? Now he's got a pay-per-view, and it still doesn't feel like he's really selling it. I mean, like you said, you know, Vanderlei didn't exactly help by pulling out of the thing. And when they did the other press conference before, where Vanderlei, like, Skyped in via heavy breathing, uh, then Chelsona did a lot of his Chelsona stuff. But he has, like, kind of a greater media presence than, like, 90% of fighters. He has his own podcast and everything. And granted, I don't really listen to that podcast very often, but... It seems like he has a lot of opportunities to get out there as a one-man show kind of and sell this fight. And maybe he has been doing that, but I it hasn't really come to my attention. You know, See, that's the thing. Like, if this Bellator pay-per-view is going to work, I have to be aware of this without going looking for it. Right. right? Like, Chael Sonnen versus Vanderlei Silva has to jump out and bite me for me to know that it's happening. Like, you can't just have the people that are snooping around uh in the the subheads of MMAfighting.com finding the Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva news. Like I'm if I'm John Q public, I need to tune in to see my NASCAR highlights on SportsCenter and instead see a wild press conference brawl between these two guys that I vaguely remember from when they both used to be on Spike TV. I mean you would hope if you're Bellator that whatever Chael Sonnen's podcast audience is, we got those people. 
that we got those people already in our pocket and then we need to go hunting for everybody else. Um, but yeah. And when I start to take a look at this card, you know, where you got, you got Fedor and Matt Mitrione gonna try that one again. Um, Douglas Lima and Lorenz Larkin, uh, making his, uh, Bellator debut, uh, Michael Chandler and young gun Brent Primus there. There's some good stuff that there, you could make a good case for this. Yeah, man. The, the, the featured prelim is Phil Davis defending the Bellator light heavyweight championship against Ryan Bader, which may be, you know, with the possible exception of Douglas Lima versus Lorenz Larkin, like the most actually competitive high level mixed martial arts fight on the card. I mean, there's a lot to like here. It's just a matter of like, is it going to draw eyeballs? Yeah. And I, maybe there's a big media push plan where we got, you know, Fedor and Matt Mitrion facing off at the base of the Statue of Liberty or some shit coming this week. Uh, Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva trying to throw each other off the Brooklyn Bridge. Who knows? Who knows what's coming down the, the pipeline here to us? But yeah, I feel like you, you have a lot of the kind of stuff that Bellator has decided is it's going to sell like that, that this mixture of weird stuff people you used to know who aren't really who they are anymore but are still they still got a name um some young fighters that are actually legit some actual you know like you said mixed martial arts talent on there um this combination of stuff that you can throw out there but i it seems like I was expecting a little bigger, bigger of a push, and instead, like the biggest Bellator news I've heard recently is that they signed Mike Goldberg. And what, what is that supposed to do for me, Chad? Ah, uh, well, yeah, we just we just got uh, more clarification on that today, as the, the uh, Bellator put out its actual plan for the broadcast. Like, because when the news came out that they were going to have Mauro Ronaldo and Mike Goldberg on the broadcast, uh, and then you got Jimmy Smith obviously on color commentary, the question was. How's that going to work? You essentially you got two play-by-play guys in the booth, which you don't need. Uh, and today they clarified a little bit to say Mario Ronaldo will be in the play-by-play booth and Mark, Mike Goldberg will be a desk anchor, which makes you think that they're going to have like a, a whole different setup for this Bellator pay-per-view event, uh, which I think sounds like an actually interesting and intriguing idea because for all we know, Mike Goldberg could be completely acceptable in a, uh, desk anchor role when he's not out there having to quarterback the play-by-play broadcast and then of course you got Mauro Ronaldo who's who's recognized as one of the best guys in the business uh so yeah I'm actually kind of interested to see just production values wise how this goes because uh when you think about what Mike Goldberg brings to the table it's possible that desk anchor is like kind of the best thing you can do with that. Guy. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, if you if you have to have that combination, then yeah, I think that is the best way to use him. Because um, like you said, I thought if you got Moro Ronaldo, I don't know why you need to hire another play by play guy. And it also though makes me wonder. Okay, we already know that you're making a practice of taking the UFC cast off fighters, taking guys who either you know had met their limit in the UFC or had kind of aged out of the UFC, signing them and, and trying to bring what use you can out of them. And now you're doing it with the announcers too. It makes me wonder if you're trying to trick people into thinking that they're listening to the UFC. I, I don't know if that's really the message you want to send. What do you think here as far as pay-per-view buys? Because this is split, right? You got Bellator 180 as the regular like Spike TV card um, and then Bellator NYC as your pay-per-view card over or under 100,000 pay-per-view buys. Uh, I mean, if you would have got the build that I thought you were going to do, if you would have got the lead up, I would have said just slightly over. I would have said maybe you make 125, 150. At this, at this point, 
don't you feel like you'll be lucky to get a hundred thousand? Like, right. Yeah. If you hit that right on the nose, if you make, uh, six, six figures, six digits on this thing, like that's gotta be considered a success, right? What the, the last Bellator pay-per-view did what? Like 90, something like that. Or well, there were some discrepancies about the, the number because yeah, they said somewhere like right around a hundred thousand and Dana White then of course did his Dana White thing by saying he heard it was lower. Uh, that kind of thing. <laughs> Many people are saying. Um, I mean, maybe once Vanderlei Silva is dangled by his ankles off the Brooklyn Bridge by Shell Sonnen, who is probably going to be, again, be still wearing flip-flops, uh, maybe then that will that will push you, give you that last push you need to get to like 110, 120. Um, but yeah, right now, it kind of looks a little dismal to me. Yeah, and like I feel like you got a much bigger push for Tito Ortiz versus Chael Sonnen than you're getting, at least so far. Maybe, like you said, maybe it'll get crazy this week because uh, that's kind of... I mean, we talk about the Mayweather-McGregor buildup being the thing, like the actual thing to pay attention to when the fight is not going to be anything to write home about. I think you can make this exact same case, although clearly on a much different and much smaller scale, about Sonnen versus Silva and Fedor Emelianenko versus Matt Mitrion. Like, once you get these dudes in the cage, if we're judging by simply what Chael Sonnen did last time, uh, and, you know, the fact that... that Fedor has been a shadow of himself and Mitrione is, you know, st- still uh, a younger guy, but I, but kind of not necessarily viewed as being like a, a top heavyweight in the game. Once you get these two actual fights underway, I feel like you're going to have that feeling where like the, the, the lead up was the thing. And right now we don't have any lead up. So uh, that puts you... a lot of emphasis on the actual fights and I don't think you're going to get the payoff there. Since you mentioned Matt Mitrione's younger guy, I feel obliged to, again, your your regular reminder, Mitrione was like two years younger than Fedor. I know it doesn't seem possible, but there it is. Okay. I stand corrected. <laughs> Matt, is, is he young for a Bellator heavyweight? I mean, he's be- young for an MMA heavyweight. Practically a spring chicken in that regard. How old are we? Oh, he's 38. Matt Mitrione is 38, Ben. That's right. Jesus Christ. Where have I been? I feel like I went to sleep and missed five years of Matt Mitrione's career. <laughs> well, that I mean, that actually might have happened. <laughs> That's possible. What are we going to get from these fights, Ben? Do you care? Like, uh, does Fedor can Fedor do it? Can Fedor go out there and get the win? I'm for the, for that fight. I'm just hoping not to be sad. I just don't want to. I don't want another sad Fedor moment. Like, you know, if you can give me a good fight, that would be great. Um, if you can just avoid bumming me the hell out, I'll take it. Are we going to get bummed out by Chael Son and Vanderlei Silva? Man, you know how that one's going to go because we saw it already once on Tough. It's going to be like that except a little worse because Chael Son won't be in flip-flops this time. Presumably. I don't know. What is the number one thing that you were looking forward to the most out of this Bellator circus where we come in the tent and Scott Coker is in there wearing a top hat and making hand-dipped corn dogs? Uh, what's the thing that, that legitimately holds the most interest for you on this Gotta be, looks like about a hundred fight card. Yeah. Well, I'll be interested, especially since this is supposed to be a bigger deal, right? Not only because it's pay-per-view, but you're in New York City, Bellator NYC. You're in Madison Square Garden, the granddaddy of them all. I'll be interested to see if Bellator can find a way to pull off that big fight feel that we talked about. You know, that, that feeling you get where you feel like, okay, this is a real event and not just another weekend's worth of Bellator. Cause that's really tough to do, I think, for them. Um, if they can find a way to pull it off, then I, I think that will be a start for them. But if it just feels like another Bellator with just more fights and more announcers, I think that's a bad sign. 
Yeah, kind of weird to say that one of the things we're looking forward to is like basically the production values to see how we how they pull this off. And I that's probably a commentary on on exactly what we're going to see out here. Uh, I'm kind of excited to see Aaron Pico. I got to say, yeah. like the 20 year old phenom that we've been hearing about for years uh, as as potentially be, basically being the Tiger Woods or something of of, uh, of MMA. And I guess when I say that you want to be the first half of the Tiger Woods career and, and maybe skip the rest. But Aaron Pico, the decorated wrestler, he's going to make his MMA debut, professional MMA de- debut at light, lightweight as the curtain jerker on the Bellator pay-per-view card against a fella named Zach Freeman, who doesn't have a Wikipedia page, which I'm trying not to do any spoilers here, but <laughs> I'm just trying to paint a picture. That somebody should get on there on Wikipedia and make him a page? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm hearing. Well, let's just, let's see how it goes. Okay. But maybe if he gets the win. Then maybe we think about getting getting Zach Freeman a Wikipedia page. By we, you mean somebody else, because we're obviously well, yeah, not doing not that. Not us. I'm, yeah. talking, I'm using the royal we. Okay. To indicate everyone who's listening to this right now. Uh, anything else? Is there anything athletically, Ben? Because I'm saying Aaron Pico showing up. Uh, I'm interested to see if he can live up to the hype. Phil Phil Davis Ryan Bader is is a good mixed martial arts fight, right? Still at this point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that one's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, you know, I'm interested a little bit to see uh, Michael Chandler versus uh, Brent Primus. I, I I talked to Brent Primus a little bit, and he has at least an interesting personal story. You know, undefeated against a l- lower level of of competition, but with Michael Chandler, I always wonder exactly. Like, he's been in some battles. You wonder if that's going to catch up with him at some point. So I, I'm a little curious to see what happens in that one. Wait, what's the personal story? He, he played on the first Lollapalooza. Listen, man, I see what you're doing. The seas of cheese is, you know, 14-year-old Chad Dundas is, he's got that shirt probably in his class picture. I'm just saying that if you found out that Brent Primus from the age of 13 on had been uh, kicked out of his house and was selling weed to all the kids in Eugene, Oregon, um, maybe you get a little interested to find out what what a 15-year-old mini drug lord is doing with all his money answer going to walmart wait a second are you doing a promo for a lifestyle piece that is coming out on an mma junkie this week who knows Jen? jesus who no- you asked i guess i did i teed you up for this without even without even knowing i'm tapping my my <laughs> temple right now for everybody see, that means smart it means see, i'm smart here's this is what i you get from me as professional courtesy Teeing up your bullshit articles so you can knock them out of the park. Are you still doing professional courtesy right now when you're talking about my bullshit articles? Because it seems like the professional courtesy part may have just ended. Yeah, that's we're done with that now. Okay, we'll we'll bleep that out. Don't you worry. We'll fix it in post production. Well, Ben, something that you and I have been uh, working on as part of a smallish group for a while now, but uh, unable to really talk about publicly, uh, did in fact go public this past week while I was on vacation. Of course. Which is just how stuff happens. Yep. Uh, and that was the unveiling of the Mixed Martial Arts Journalist Association uh, this week. And uh, so we wanted to spend this round of the podcast talking a little bit about that because uh, interest has obviously been wider than we expected, as evidenced by the fact that uh, we crashed the website day one. 
which I think is just par for the course, right? For a, an unveiling of any kind. Yeah. Basically, the website is going to go down. Especially because what do we know about how to actually make websites? We just put words on them. That's right. We're just the content creators. Yeah. As they say these days. Uh, but we did want to spend a few minutes talking about the, the, the MMAJA, uh, in terms of what it is, what we, what our hopes and dreams are for it for the future. And, uh, I suppose if there are any, uh, aspiring mixed martial arts journalists out there listening to the show, uh, to encourage them to apply above and beyond everything else. Yeah, well, I guess we should start with talking about the – this has been an effort that has propped up every once in a while uh, for years now. I mean, since like 2009, I think is one of the first times I remember hearing the discussion about it. Uh, and because you see these kind of journalist associations in most other professional sports, and we talked about it a few times and never really could get the sustained momentum going for it. And then after uh, Ariel Helwani was kicked out of UFC 199 and, you know, that brief lifetime ban that lasted like two or three days, that kind of got the the ball rolling again. Um, just because everybody kind of saw the need to have some kind of group. So in a situation like this, we can speak with one voice and all kind of stand together uh, in a, a situation like that where it really matters. And, you know... That uh, that ban was reversed pretty quickly, um, and we somehow managed, though, to keep the momentum going this time. And honestly, it was a lot tougher to actually form an association than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And if I had known how hard it was going to be and what a long pain in the ass it was going to be, I, I'm, let's just say I'm glad I did not know that. Yeah, and I think, like, for this part of it, I can really only speak for myself, but I think I was naive to the process of of – all of the hoops that had to be jumped through and all the stuff that had to be accomplished in order to like uh, get official 501cc nonprofit status and to, uh, you know, come up with a, like two years of a business plan yeah, and write then, a constitution and get a bank account and all kinds of stuff like that. Right. And because we, we all know you just keep your money in, in a hole in your mattress. Yeah. Right. No, I, I have it in a coffee can uh, buried in the backyard. Damn it, I shouldn't have told you. Just guys, waiting but. for the gold standard to come back. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of logistical stuff that, uh, uh, that, that needed to happen, which is why the whole process turned out to be as time consuming, uh, as it was. I know that we, you know, at the time that, that Ariel had his falling out and eventual kind of reconciliation with the UFC, uh, we had discussed the idea of having the MMAJ with a much larger group of journalists, all of whom, uh, were, supportive and said there was a thing that they would be interested in joining. And then we, we closed out that discussion by saying, okay, uh, we will break up into this smaller group, uh, which basically, we basically asked for volunteers, uh, and the small group ended up being you and me and Ariel and Mark Raimondi from MMA fighting, uh, and Josh gross. Uh, and then, you know, from there it was, was where the work, the heavy lifting of, of all of this logistical stuff actually began. But you fast forward, you know, more than a year, and here we are uh, with the actual going public phase of the thing. Uh, and, and I think that kind of segues us into a conversation about what the organization actually is and what we hope it will do. And I know that because of the uh, f the circumstances around the formation of the MMAJA and the 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 known entity that is uh, the relationship of the MMA media with larger promoters like the UFC that the most public response to this is like, oh, this organization was formed with the idea of like some sort of collective bargaining with promoters or like, uh, you know, to, to, to speak with one voice, as you said, 
uh, in the instances where uh, situations like that arise between writers and promoters. And clearly that's part of what the, the organization wants to do. Uh, but it's not the, the, the entire mission statement of the organization. And, and frankly, uh, as far as my personal opinion goes, it's not even a, a really enormous part of what I hope the MMA JA can do because uh, it's not a, like a, a, a union. It's not what you would think of as, as like a trade union or, or a, you know, the, a fighter's union like we talk about. And it remains to be seen what our sort of collective bargaining power will be. Uh, but to me, like the the part that that is the 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 widest mission statement of the MMAJA and part and part of the the part of what makes me interested in it that it like basically what this organization is is a voluntary opportunity for uh professionals who cover mixed martial arts to essentially take a pledge and say this is a standard of professional practices that we're going to endeavor to live up to uh, as, as we, you know, continue to cover this sport as our, as our career. So to me, it's not like an adversarial thing between writers and promoters. To me, it's more of like an internal, uh, professional organization that, that provides, uh, some structure and hopefully, hopefully some fellowship, uh, to writers and the opportunity to say, these are the professional standards that we're going to try to live up to. To me, yeah. that's a much bigger part of what it is. Yeah. And because I think that the, like any kind of, um, adversarial aspect that might come up with promoters does not happen very often. You know, I mean, we, it's been high profile cases where it's happened before in the past. I think it happens less and less often. Um, you know, that Ariel Hawani thing was an example, but that was kind of a blip that, you know, it was not like that kind of thing was happening all the time. So yeah, I think that that's not a huge aspect of it. I mean, if there are some, uh, issues with like working conditions or, or press rooms or something. I'm sure that's something that we could, uh, discuss, but there aren't like a whole lot of huge ambitions on that side of it. I think, like you said, establishing kind of some standards. Cause one thing that I've noticed is that a lot of people in MMA journalism, um, like we've kind of grown up with the sport, um, as the sport has kind of developed. So has the journalism around it. Um, and there have not been a whole lot of standards. Like it's just kind of, you're kind of figuring it out by looking around and seeing what other people are doing at times. And like, you know, I've talked, you and I had talked about how, you know, writing for the UFC magazine, if you, when, you know, I think I wrote two stories for him. I don't know how many you wrote for him. Something like that. Two yeah. Or three. Um, before I kind of decided, you know what, I don't feel really comfortable with this and stop doing it. And that was something where it seemed like you, you, weren't sure exactly where everybody stood on that. And so you kind of look around and see what other people are doing. You're looking at your peers and that kind of is that forms a basis for what you think the standards are. Um, and if everybody's doing that, nobody's really talking about the standards. Sometimes I think you can drift into some gray areas or some dangerous areas. It's much better to have like an actual clearly spelled out standards that we all agree to. And that um, we all said, yeah, this is how journalists should, should conduct themselves in this sport. I think that helps everybody. I think it helps the quality of coverage of the sport. I think it helps the the younger people who are going to be coming up um, and working in this field after us. Um, and I guess one of the things that I wanted people to know was that just because, you know, since we were the, the small working group that helped form it and, you know, we got our names on the, the interim board of directors, it's not as if we are out there trying to install ourselves in these positions for life, especially after our experiences thus far. I think a lot of us would be more than happy to give up some of those positions, let somebody else uh, deal with that because it is a lot of like headache for not a whole lot of reward or anything. It's not like anybody's making money off of this. Um, 
And we want it to be something that belongs to all the journalists. It's not, it's not ours. You know, we helped push through the, the final stuff across the finish line there. Um, but our goal now is kind of this week we're looking at, we got a lot of applications for membership. So, um, we'll be kind of letting people know pretty soon about membership. Um, and then, kind of getting everybody on board with the same constitution and code of conduct and then hopefully later in the year having some elections to form like to form the first real uh, officers and board of directors um so that's kind of where we're looking to go from there as far as like fans asking hey what will this mean for coverage or what will i see as a result um it'll probably be pretty subtle on your end but hopefully um everybody agreeing to a certain standards and, and code of conduct will lead to just a better and more professional media covering the sport. Right. And all that said, I do want to circle back real quick to, to just underscore the notion that one of the ambitions of this group, uh, once we get the organization aspect of it settled is to try to, uh, improve communication between journalists and promoters and to try to get the handful of, of journalists that are, uh, uncredentialed by the UFC, uh, blackballed, if you will, people like uh, Josh Gross, like my colleague Jonathan Snowden at Bleacher Report, Loretta Hunt, uh, and a few others. Like Part of the ambition of this group is to eventually get to the point where uh, we can get those people invited back into the fold. Uh, and I, so I just wanted to be clear about saying that. I didn't want you know people listening to this to think that we glossed over it. Uh, but at the same time, like you were saying, Ben, the... Uh, the work that's been done so far organizationally is very skeletal. Like all of the stuff that has happened so far is stuff that we had to do in order to get on the books as a nonprofit organization. Much of the organizational work and much of the work shaping the MMAJA uh, is yet to come. And so for working journalists out there in MMA who might look at this thing and think, is this for me? Is this organization for me? The first point that I would make is, uh, Yes, because if you join early, you still have the opportunity to shape it into whatever you think uh, a mixed martial arts journalist professional association should be, because there is still so much organizational work to be done. Like you said, right now, the the goal is to just uh, swell the ranks enough to where we can staff a bunch of committees and elect a permanent or like a not a permanent, but a, a an official board uh, and get on with the work of uh like taking this skeletal organization and fleshing it out into a living, breathing thing. So, uh, you know, some people were skeptical at first, I think surrounding the announcement of this, uh, about what it would do for them, about why they would join and stuff like that. And and that's what I would say, like, uh, what do you want it to be? Yeah. Cause you have the opportunity to, to make it, uh, to shape it in your own image, really. If you join early enough to, uh, get on committees and make sure that things are done the the proper way. Yeah, and I think, like you said, the other goal is really fellowship among uh, journalists because a lot of times, you know, you're competitors, you work for different sites, we don't always see each other that often. Some people cover events, some people don't, um, and you don't really know each other, um, but sometimes, you know, through the internet and social media, you think you do, and you might get the wrong idea about people, but if you realize that even though we're competitors, we all have some common interests here, um, I think that that can help everybody get on board to work together to to basically... Uh, do a better job of what we're trying to do here. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that will be one of the outcomes. 
So if you are a working journalist covering mixed martial arts out there and you're interested in the MMAJA, uh, go to the website, right? Is it MMAJA.com? That's right. www.mmaja.com. That's right. Uh, fill out an application. Uh, we've gotten a lot so far and we're still uh, in the early stages of figuring out membership. But if you fill out an application, uh, you will hear from us uh, sooner rather than later. And uh, if you are a, a reader or a fan of the sport and you have questions, you can address them to the MMAJA, I believe, also at that website. Or, hell, send them to the podcast, and we will uh, do our best to answer those questions for you. That's right. Do you want to do Just Saying Stuff, or is there anything else you want to talk about? No, let's do Just Saying Stuff. All right, stuff. Let's, just, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your Just Saying Stuff? Chad, this week, I'm just saying, it's finally happening. The big fight is finally happening. BJ Penn versus Dennis Seaver. Oh, come on now. It's finally happening. I feel like you've pulled this a Sunday, here. This Sunday at the UFC Fight Night event, uh, as you mentioned, going down at the granddaddy of them all, the Chesapeake Energy Arena, the the fight, I, what did we first hear about this one, like four years ago or something? Uh, I don't even know. BJ Penn is fighting Dennis Seaver, and I'm just saying, I bet you didn't even... Know about it, think about it, care about it until right now. What does that say for BJ Penn? Probably the greatest lightweight of all time. I'm just saying. Just saying. Well, I'm going to follow. That was kind of a depressing just saying stuff. And I'm going to follow it up with a serious just saying stuff of my own. Uh, maybe out of character for this show to end on that tone. But, you know, we talked about Tim Hag earlier in the show and, and just kind of uh, reiterated the notion that there aren't a lot of happy endings in this sport. Uh, but still, it, it was kind of jarring and unexpected to see the news out this past week that former UFC welterweight champion Matt Hughes is now in the hospital and unstable, but uh, uh, maybe unresponsive, I guess you would say, condition after his truck was stuck by struck by a train, which is the kind of thing that you don't ever even think about or expect to happen to any human, uh, and yet did uh, to Matt Hughes this past week. Um, and I know that... There has been a falling out of sorts, uh, you know, in the last decade or so between uh, mixed martial arts fans and, and Matt Hughes. He certainly didn't do himself any favors on The Ultimate Fighter and, and uh, you know, in some other situations. But just purely as uh, an early fan of the sport who uh, got a lot of enjoyment about, you know, out of watching Matt Hughes show up and, and beat people up at 170 pounds when I was first just getting into this sport. Uh, I guess I'm just saying get well, Matt Hughes. I would like to see him, uh, you know, pull out of this and, and uh, go on living his life with uh, whatever he wants to do in the future. So uh, that's what I'm just saying this week. Just saying. Kind of a downer note, really, all the way around yeah. to end this thing. But that's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. We will, in fact, be back next week, although we've made a kind of a practice out of not doing that recently but we'll be back next week and back on our normal schedule uh to break down all the stuff that happens at both this bellator pay-per-view and the uh michael kiesa versus kevin lee ufc card and then move forward to there from there into all of the upcoming stuff in mixed martial arts but as for right now we are done we are through we are out you sure you're gonna have time for that next I'll week see if i can work it into my, do, is, uh, my ain't schedule. nobody got time for that again. My, my calendar i don't know maybe something will come up about you. you sound you, almost hopeful that something will come up. You are sitting over there playing the self-righteous card in a couple weeks ago. The table's